You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. Hello, I'm Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast. I was fortunate to spend 11 wonderful days walking on the Camino in Spain in September for this podcast. The full Camino is over 800 kilometres from the Spanish border in the Pyrenees to Santiago de Compostela in Galicia and it typically takes a walker between 30 and 35 days walking around 25 kilometres a day to do the full Camino. I walked on the French Camino Way from Roncesvalles at the foothills of the Pyrenees and the Spanish side of the border with France, but most people start at Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port in France. I flew into Bilbao and out of Santiago with Erlingas. The Camino is a truly magical experience that I would recommend to everyone, but especially lovers of walking and history enthusiasts. The Camino brings you through four very different regions in Spain with four distinct languages, cultures, architecture, people, cuisine, weather and even language. Pilgrims, as walkers are called whether they are religious or not, start in the mountains of the Pyrenees and pass through the stunning medieval towns and cities like Pamplona of Navarra, then into the picturesque vineyards of Rioja, followed by the vast, endless flat plains of the Masada of Castile and Leon. This finally gives way to the mountains into Galicia which are known as the Green Spain with its small green fields surrounded by stone walls and a Celtic heritage that make Irish people feel at home. The Camino is one of Christianity's most venerated and ancient pilgrimage walk which goes to the tomb of St James and the magnificent World Heritage listed cathedral in Santiago de Compostela which is one of the third most holy sites in Christianity after Rome and Jerusalem. I'll be doing two episodes on the Camino, one today and also one next Tuesday, as I interviewed so many interesting people with great stories both in the Camino and afterwards, and I really want to share their stories with you. Today you will hear an interview I did about my experiences on the Camino, then I interviewed three writers, John Connell, Marco Hallern and Curtis Williams about their Camino journeys. I hope these interviews and episodes convey in some small way why the Camino is so special to so many people around the world. Now it is time for the latest instalment of Travel Tales with Fergal. I'm delighted to say that Fergal O'Keefe, of course uh, a native of Ennis and the man behind the Travel Tales with Fergal podcast is with us once again. Good morning to you Fergal. Last week we were chatting about the Camino um, and it sounded like such a fascinating trip. It's a kind of a spiritual trip for for a lot of people. You know, you, you, you mentioned some of the interesting characters both from Ireland and further afield that you met on your way. You did 11 days. I think you said the, yeah. the maximum it takes 35 days to do it, which you suggested that people do that in blocks if they're looking at doing it all. So, and why is it so popular with Irish people? Is it the slightly religious spiritual angle or? I think so, you know, there was a recent research that said sort of 28% go for religious reasons, 28% go for sort of exercise or for the challenge. Then the rest are there, you know, to be in nature or to escape. And I would go all those. I think everybody really goes for all those things. And personally, I found it, you know, I I would say it's very spiritual. But when I'm in nature, when I'm walking, I I find that very spiritual anyway. And it was interesting because, you know, something I would recommend to people is I walked in the four regions. So like it's Navarre, Rioja, Castilla, Leon and Galicia. And each region I had a guide for with me, whether it's in towns or whether it's walking. And if if people are doing it, I would say that if at all possible to maybe walk a day with a guide or to, when they're in the town, because the history and the culture of the place, you read that really comes alive when you meet people. And I remember one of my guides was a, a Peruvian. So it was like a guy called Francesco Contreras, who you know, has written a book about the Camino and he's an amazing person. I mean, people used to come up to him on the Camino looking for his autograph. And uh, there was another person with him, a, a woman who was from Peru, who, you know, she said to me in Peru, they they, they worship uh, Cachamamba, which is Mother Earth. And that's what I kind of think it is in the, on, on the Camino, that a spiritual, you know, whether you're religious or not, you're out in nature. And as Francesco said to me one day when you're walking on the Camino, 
you know, the only thing that you hear is the crunch of of the the rocks below your feet because you just go into a you kind of go into not a trance, but you go quiet. I remember talking to one of the guys, John, the, the author John Connell, who I was with, and I said, you know, what are you thinking about? And he goes, nothing. <laughs> My mind is blank, and that's what I love about it. Your mind does go blank, and I kind of missed that actually now that I've come back. You know, you kind of I only appreciate it now since I came back, but that simplicity of you know, all you're thinking about is the village that you see off in the distance or what you're going to get for lunch and where you're going to sleep that night and nothing else. And that's what's so magical about it, to give people that time. And you can do that in a week or people can do it in a month, but it really is magical. And then what makes the Camino, I mean, to put it in perspective, I mean, they, they get about a million people a year that walk on it. So what makes this so special is that you know, it, it's geared up for it. It's got loads of accommodation. It, and then, but each village has got its own little, you know, bits of history or museums. And then each region is completely different from each other, which make, gives a great variety. So it's, I would so recommend it. And I bet you if you've ever met anyone that went on the Camino, they didn't regret it. Everyone loves it and everyone wants to go back, which I do too. So you get to meet really interesting people like that guy, Francesco, who's an amazing character. And what he was saying to me was, you, you know, it's, it, he doesn't believe it's for religious reasons. He thinks it's for sharing ideas and stories and knowledge. And there's a great tradition in, in the hostels at night that people eat together and, you know, everyone's open to meeting each other. That's kind of part of the thing. So when you're walking past people, you just say, everyone says Bon Camino to each other. And then sometimes people want to talk or other times they don't, you know, and uh, you just might have a little chat with someone and then they move on. So it's very social as well, even though, as I say, it's you're just walking in silence. But if you feel like talking, it's often very um, social as well, I have to say. The towns then in each region, there's so many. I mean, just say, for example, in Navarre, you know, you, you go to Pamplona, which is the first, if you're doing the French route in Spain, the first kind of city main place that you get to is Pamplona, which is famous from Hemingway and the Bull Run. And you see where the Bull Run is and you can drink in the bar where Hemingway used to drink. And it's actually lovely being there. When I was there, they call it um, kind of Thursday tapas. And it, oh, it's a student town. So all the students were out and it was buzzing. And, and and if you're if you're doing the Camino, I would say just do a little bit of research beforehand because you know some of the big towns and the smaller towns you'll mix it up because there are some amazing places. Like I mentioned that guy Francisco, and he was big into the Templars, which I love the history of them. So he brought, he was kind of bringing me to these little churches in the middle of nowhere, and I was gas watching it because the Templars create such passion in people even still now in the 21st century because Francisco was big into the history of them and the mystical side of it. And we would go to these little churches, like a place called Unate, say, which was just a little, a couple of k's off the official Camino. And he was there talking and uh, the guide was talking about the history, but not mentioning the Templars. And then he would get into an argument in Spanish and they'd be arguing each other. And then they wouldn't <laughs> say anything to us. And I was going can you not just give us like all the myths, you know, you can give us the Christian ones and the non-Christian ones and we'll decide. Because I just wanted to hear all the stories, you know. I love that history. And there is a lot of history uh, to these places. I mean, even aside from the Templars, uh, it's just, it's a place laden with culture and with history. Yeah. And you know what, in Navarre, I was so aware of that. Like, when you were walking there, you know, you're actually walking on old Roman roads and you're going through some towns where there are still the Roman roads that were there from Roman times. And that was pagan times. And the reason why they were going in that direction was going west towards the sea where the sun used to set. And, you know, they were worshipping the sun. So then, in, you know, in Christian times, it became going to Santiago to to, to uh, St. James's you know, remains. Um, so it's been going on for a very long time. So, I mean, from Roman times and then you've got the history with the Moors and then you've got the Christians who, you know, kicked out the Moors and all along you've got forts and castles. And I love that all that history, that medieval history going. Then you go into the 15th, 16th century. So you go into places like Castile Leon, where the kings of Spain were from the World UNESCO site. Uh, cathedral in Lyon and in Burgos as well, huge cathedrals with 
you know, amazing architecture if you're into that as well. So, yeah, so varied the history all the way. And then in Galicia, it's nature and you're walking, you know, there you're walking past, uh, you know, uh, apple orchards and you've got, um, you know, hazelnuts in the ground and the berries are growing and there's pear trees. And, you know, I could see how the ancient pilgrims, they didn't need, they were getting their food off the trees as they were walking along. What what is it like, um, Fergal, when you arrive at the end of the Camino in Santiago? Um, yeah. it, it must be a kind of a very um, uplifting kind of spiritual moment. It is, and it's very emotional. And I was kind of coming into it, um, you know, so I only did like 11 days and it was a highlights trip. But I couldn't imagine what it would be like for people that did the whole Camino or a lot of Irish people. You can fly to Santiago with Aer Lingus and then get a taxi, 100 k's. To the, to the border with Galicia and walk the Galicia version. And a lot of Irish people do that. And I personally, I found it very emotional even just arriving into Santiago because you're on these medieval streets and as you come into the city, it's getting busier and busier as all the routes, the Northern route, the Portuguese route, the, um, the, the the French route, the English route, they all join up coming into Santiago. And the, and also, you know, like there was lots of school groups out, which are probably locals. So loads of people arriving in. Some of them are singing. And there's lots of South Americans there and, and you know, people traveling from all over the world. So as you're getting closer and closer to the cathedral, which you see off in the distance, the crowds of pilgrims are getting bigger. And then as you're coming into the main square, you have to go through an arch where there's like a guy playing Galician bagpipes. And you know, the kid, when I was there, there was lots of these secondary school students that were all singing. And you arrive into the square with throngs of people and there's people like hugging and there's people on their knees or, you know, people just shattered lying down with their bags. And so it's a great spectacle. And, and I used to, when I was there, I would go back to that, you know, I went, kept going back to the square just to stand there and watch people as they arrived and looking up at the cathedral and around the square. And there's a you know, beautiful building all around you that creates this natural amphitheatre. And uh, so, yeah, spectacular, I have to say. Here's a short clip I recorded of people coming into the square singing. in the church they do masses where you know the pilgrims at night time and it's a great place to visit and they actually do tours you can go up on the roof to see the whole city or you can do nighttime tours now in 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 um, the cathedral so you know it really is a great way to finish and the best food i would say is actually in galicia as well which is a lovely and great wine so and great restaurants so that is <laughs> you know and you can see there's an office you know you get stamps all along the route in little churches or you know, even museums, you get your stamps on your, your your pilgrim passport. So then the final one, and I went down there just to watch people arriving to get their final uh, stamps. And then all around that office, there's loads of restaurants and it's just full of pilgrims. We're having wine and food and hugging each other as they're meeting up again. So it's an electric atmosphere. And this is like, you know, in October. So I can't imagine what it's like in high season. So even I, I, I say... Even if you weren't into walking, it would be an amazing place to go just for a weekend, Santiago, because it's a medieval city, beautiful, with great food, and you'd get to see all that atmosphere as well, whether you're religious or not. It's still an amazing spectacle. Yeah, it sounds absolutely fantastic. You're doing a great job of selling the Camino. I think I'm going to have to go there at some point in my life. And the Camino is a must visit by the sounds of it. When you walk the Camino with someone, you get to know them very well. And I have to say, I had the pleasure of walking with my next guest, the writer John Connell, who you will know from his two great books, The Cow Book and The Running Book, and his two weekly columns in The Irish Independent. You get now to hear John talk about his impressions of the Camino. What did you think it was going to be? And how did that match up with what it was? Well, I suppose, uh, Fergal, uh, it's great to be on the show and thanks for having me. Um, for me, uh, 
I had taught, I had, like a lot of people, I'd become aware of the Camino through uh, the film The Way. And uh, I was looking for, um, again, like a lot of people, I was looking kind of for a little bit of guidance in life and to see where um, where I should uh, go next. And, um, you know, the amount of people I met who I said, this is even before I went to the Camino, that I'm thinking about the Camino, they all said, oh, I found it really life-changing and really affirming. So that was kind of one of the big uh, reasons for me. And um, then when I got there, uh, I suppose the difference was it was, um, it's a hell of a lot bigger than you think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's, it's, it's, it's a very big undertaking. And uh, I know when you see that sign in Rancho's Fallis that says 790, it's, it's a long way to get to the last five or 10, you know, um, and it puts the enormity of the task into perspective. But um, yeah, I suppose like everybody else, I was going for, for a reason. And you, I forgot to say when I introduced you that like you've written, I've read your books like the, the cow book and the running book. So I knew it would be right up your street. So you're fit and you love the countryside. So, you know, I knew it would, yeah. it would suit you. Yeah, no, it did. It was, um, I'd actually been walking in, I I do a lot of running, but I'd been doing long walks in practice here. I'm from Longford on on the Royal Canal doing 10, 20 K walks, uh, two or three times a week just to really build up that fitness. And, um, yeah, it was, I suppose it combined a lot of things I liked. There was history, there was culture and there was physical activity. So it was kind of perfectly made for me. And, uh, the walking itself, I didn't find that hard. Uh, I found it pleasurable. Exactly. And we were very lucky because we had some great guides, Helder and Francisco. And Francisco was really into the history. That was the thing that I didn't know about really or didn't think about. I was just focused on the walk. I didn't think about the, the history and then the mysticism and talking about um as you know, the Templar Knights and my obsession and uh, talking about the religion and talking about the history. I absolutely love that part of it. Yeah, I think the history was just uh, amazing. I suppose we don't have that type of history in Ireland with our monasteries and older buildings because a lot of them were destroyed in various wars and conquests and things like that. So to see intact still use still buildings in use from the 10th and 11th century is just kind of amazing really um and uh yeah fran uh the 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 writer fran contreas uh he had wrote a book and he was guiding us for for a period of time about um the magic of the camino but it, it wasn't it wasn't just magic it was really about the the untold stories on the camino and what what they mean and and also uh, all the symbolism and, and there's a hell of a lot of symbolism on the Camino, not just for pilgrims, but also, uh, you know, gateways to churches, doors that tell stories of, um, I suppose, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was for a pre-literate people. So, uh, the church was, was television. It was where you got all the stories. And, uh, but I was amazed at the level of knowledge of the guides, um, and I suppose it was a unique experience because a lot of people who we met and a lot of people who do it just walk and they don't actually get to uh, take in um, the the sights. Um, and I, I, I remember we were in La Rioja and uh, we went to see uh, a, church, a cathedral there. There was a beautiful altarpiece and Miguel, the, the guide, um, you know, explained it to us over a half an hour. and. Um, of all the Santa churches, Domingo, Santa Domingo, it? yeah, Santa yeah. Domingo, and of all the churches I'd been in, that was probably the one that I connected with the most. Uh, even though it was not the most famous or not the most beautiful, um, wasn't the biggest or the smallest, but I think the fact that the guide had explained what it meant uh, really kind of um, really kind of brought it out for me and and and, and showed me, you know, uh, the artist took twelve years to paint uh, the 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 wooden altarpiece you know the the level of devotion but also the level of artistry and and uh uh passion you know uh that's that's along that pilgrim road is is just kind of amazing and uh and look you know 
there are some people who do the whole Camino, some people who do the last 100 kilometers in Galicia. So there are certain regions that do get missed. And I think that um, in missing them, you're missing out on, on uh, kind of seeing the wider Spain. Exactly. I mean, you could say particularly around that area, Rioja, then into Castilla y Leon, the, the Masata, which mm. I love seeing, actually, because um, that's sort of the, the romantic view of Spain, you know, the, the Spanish plains, and it just goes on forever. Yeah, that was that was kind of a, um, an epiphany to me, really. I It was not my image of Spain. Of course, it was all wheat fields, but the wheat had been harvested, so it was very bare. Um, and, uh, I remember we were in a small town, uh, one of the nights and, you know, it was suffering with rural depopulation and empty building, empty shop fronts and things. And, um, it sort of made me think about, uh, rural communities around the world and how they're struggling to redefine themselves or define themselves. Um, and this was something that, you know, was happening in Spain. Um, I think, uh, 50 some 50 percent of the region of spain that's rural 15 percent of the population have left something like that um so it's kind of a it's a it's a never-present problem but uh, i actually loved being there because it it it, um it made me think of other places i'd been in my life the other places that were struggling whether it was america or ireland or australia um uh the mesitas was was kind of profound and i think you know I remember we met an Australian in Galicia who, who, who said, well, the real Camino has begun now. But in a sense, I think he had come through the, the hardest part in the Mesitas to where you're faced with nothing but yourself. So uh, it's your own company that gets you through that space. Exactly. And so, yeah, maybe some people find that harder than others. And that's the Camino is it gives you time to think, you know, it gives people yeah. this yeah. modern world. I think so. It's, um, you know, a lot of people say they're here for, um, they're there for a message or for a sign. But in my Camino, my understanding was, um, and I've wrote about it, is that um, you bring the question and you bring the answer with you. Um, the road allows you the time to think about the question and the answer, but, but the answer is inside yourself. Um, uh, and I think that that's, the real power of the Camino that it it's it's gives you the rare chance in a modern world that's very busy, but the world has always been busy uh, to reflect. Um, and I remember I was talking to a uh, an aeronautical engineer who worked for NASA, and she was trying to figure out what the next part of her life would be. And I said that to her. I said, "I think I, th- I said I think the answer is inside yourself." And she, she you know, she there was a, an epiphany moment for her because I think she'd been waiting for the external, but. Um, no, and doubtless there is probably external experiences for some people, but I think that it's an internal journey that you're on. And uh, it certainly was for me as well. Although there were certain signs uh, that I saw that um, kind of uh, pointed me in the right direction. And I remember for me, my a sign that I saw about that actually was we were walking along together and we were turning a, a bend and there was a one of those Camino signs up and there was graffiti on it saying, ask the shadow for the answer and we turned the bend and it was early morning and the sun was coming up and they put our shadows up on the wall so when you turned on your right hand side along the wall both our shadows were as clear there lit up by the morning sun and I said look at that that's that's who you ask you ask yourself for the answer yeah Yeah, exactly it's very profound isn't it it's it's uh and I think you know at another time in life we wouldn't take those signs on board but you're in that space there is a sort of a magical quality to the Camino that you are you're open to signs and you know Paolo Coelho who wrote um the pilgrimage which which helped rejuvenate the Camino uh in the in the 70s and 80s he um talks about signs and he said you know you can't live your life seeing signs all the time you wouldn't live much of a life he said but when real signs do come He's like you have to take note of them, and uh, I remember, I remember you you talking about that about the shadow, and uh, yeah, follow yourself, you know, follow your, follow, be your own guru. And I, you know, I've done loads of walking around the world, as I told you, in the Camino. But what's a little bit different of the Camino, I think, is that a lot of the people that go on it are open to uh, maybe reflecting on their life and having a think about more than other walks. But and also they're surrounded by people 
who are in the same boat. So people are open to talking about their, you know, I, 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 we met a guy from County Down, Jarlett, and I was talking to him. He's going to be on this podcast, actually. And he was saying that, that everybody was talking about, you know, they're, they're reflecting. And, and you said you got to know people and their life stories over a few weeks and you get to know people yeah. very well. That's what you know, people share. Yeah, I think so. I think um, there's an authenticity on the road and a vulnerableness that people people give out. And uh, I know when we met Charlotte, like he, he kind of was quite open that he had been in Malaysia and he was moving. He wasn't sure what he was going to do. And, you know, uh, I told him about writing a book myself. And um, I think you're in a space where people feel comfortable being authentic and uh, and that's really rare in life because so often we're hemmed in in the modern world by well I can't say this and I can't say that and I'll be afraid to say this or what would they think of me if I say that um, but there's I, I wouldn't be sure where else one could do that maybe maybe Jerusalem or something like that but um, but then again you know you're probably going to Jerusalem for a different reason so uh there's very few places i know there is the um the pilgrim path in japan which is gaining in popularity around mount fuji so that's probably another area uh that 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 people might be talking um but yeah there's something something very special about the camino that uh that you you can share and be open well anytime that i'm walking i always feel very close to nature or I would call it spiritual, like every time I'm walking anywhere, really, in the countryside. And I felt that. And, you know, you are, you know, I mean, you wrote about it in your article about the Camino and the Irish Independent, which I'd recommend people to read. It's brilliant about carrying rosary beads. So did you feel that, you know, connection, spiritual connection, or was it something else? Or actually, you said a line, it's something deeper, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's... um Yes, I did carry the rosary beads, and uh, I had a, a Camino shell, a scallop shell that a friend had given me. So that shell has now done the Camino twice, and uh, yeah, it, it was yeah. I'd be a spiritual person. Um, the The spiritual side of it was was uh, not in the churches; it was in the nature. Um, the churches there were some beautiful churches and moments of of reflection and i think that's what they were that's what they were able to do um but i think it was the quietness um that uh was the most spiritual to me and i and i and i know when people say that um i can get it i understand that um but you know i went from I, I did. I said prayers in churches and lit candles and things. And um, I remember being at Santiago de Compostela and going to St. James's Relic and saying a prayer and saying, thank you for bringing me this far and, and bringing me safely. Um, and uh, it was a prayer from the heart. And, uh, you know, um, you have to believe in something. So uh, this is what I believe in. I found it quite emotional arriving in when we went through that little archway with the bagpipes playing, arriving into the square, it, you know, after, you know. Yeah, after a very waiting. long journey. Yeah, mm. it, 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 I, I agree. It was, um, it was, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a sort of a threshold moment. You pass over one section and you go into another and, you you there was a i suppose there was a real sense as we were walking in uh there was a real sense of um giddiness and happiness with people and couldn't wait to get there almost running in and i know later on in the day we went back and we saw a group of young people coming in barefoot singing and uh you know it's just kind of um yeah you can you can feel the, the there's a palpable sense of um excitement and energy shift and we've done it and you know there are uh, there are some people who keep walking on to Finisera but uh, um, I think it was just kind of um, amazing I think it's also like it's an interesting space coming out of Santiago or Santiago de Compostela because obviously people have been walking for a month so then they're not sure what to do next um, so it's also a space where you're you're asking certain questions about, well, what is it that I'm 
going to do now like or do it now i have to put the epiphany into context um and uh i are the messages back into reality so you can't stay on the camino forever even though it's kind of like there's safety in the shadows but you have to come back into the light so um i think that's kind of an interesting thing and i know for myself like it took uh, it took I, I still i've wrote my comments about it but i'm also writing about it in a book uh for a chapter in a book and i haven't got to it yet and because uh, i've been so busy with with other work because other work came straight back into life you know and so i'm trying to keep a little bit of the camino with me um for the last two weeks uh i've been home two weeks now this is the third week i've been trying to keep the camino with me um, and what it has manifested into is going for long walks every day and um, or nearly every day. And, uh, you know, I was out for a long walk on Sunday with my wife and um, it started to absolutely lash rain. And I, normally I would have been annoyed about this, but I just laughed and I just said, well, I had a big laugh. And I just said, this this is just life, you know, like, what can you do? And I suppose um, uh I've, I, the road kind of taught me that uh, the Camino road taught me that you take uh, whatever uh, comes your way, uh, rain or snow or whatever it is. And I love that line, a word, I bet you if you put in a kind of one of those word count things in your three articles, simple or simplicity was the word that came up the most. Mm. Simplify life. Yeah, simplify life, you know. Um, I think that that's the most powerful thing of the Camino. Uh, you know, it's funny. I I, um, I was worried about certain things before I went to the Camino, not Camino related. And uh, when I was on the road, I never thought about them once. And I came home and one or two of them cropped up in my head, but actually uh, I was able to deal with them. And I haven't really been thinking about any of life's little problems. Uh, now, they may, that may change, but uh, at the moment it's... Um, it's kind of a really positive space and I'm just trying to keep that going. It might be that like Fran, you need to go and top it up every, every so often you might need to go back and walk the Camino again. And I think, you know, we, we were with a guide, Fran Contrea and, and Fran had walked the Camino 12 times. And when I initially heard that, I was like, Oh my God, this is, is this person hiding from real life? But it's not at all. It's, it's, he's gaining new insights every time. And, um, and I suppose we could all do a gaining insights every so often, you know. And you plan to go back, don't you? Back to, yeah, I hope, I hope to go back to Galicia in uh, April. It's it's obviously the seasons are changing now and it's starting to um, get colder. And also, I think a lot of the hostels and B&Bs close uh, this time of year. So we'll go back in the spring, uh, my wife and myself. And um, yeah, hopefully it'll be, hopefully we can go and uh, she's up for it. So Galicia was was just something I really loved. It, it it did remind me of Ireland, maybe a sunnier version of Ireland <laughs> and a warmer version of Ireland. Yeah. But uh, there was just something very special about about Galicia uh, for me, and um, I really enjoyed it. So I, I I hope to go back and do the last hundred k there. Actually, Jared said to me the other day a line. He said. He, as he was getting closer, it reminded him. So he was getting closer to the finish, so closer to Ireland. Mm. And this was so similar to Ireland that that brought that home to him. And I saw that with you. Like when we went over the border, you know, you had a big smile on your face. You were, go- you were chatting to farmers about their cows as we were walking along. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, you really yeah, loved just, that. Yeah, I did love it. It was it was funny, actually, you know, because I'm someone who's travelled all over the world. But I, I'm getting a little bit older now. I'm 35. I'm, um getting to be more uh in tune with home and uh wouldn't have necessarily have been the most settled person uh in my 20s because i lived in different countries and hadn't really made roots but when i came back um i i i when i came to galicia i i felt a sense of my celtic roots and uh and i was glad to get home and uh it was just kind of um uh yeah Special. Uh, maybe it's just Irish people that get that experience in Galicia. I don't know. Um, probably yeah, English people too. But uh, yeah, there was there was just something special about that place. And and Charlotte is right. Uh, it does does bring back memories of of home. And I suppose I was missing home. So even though like it wasn't that long. 
<laughs> I know. No, I know. But even even um, they were playing Galician music for us, and you were like, "Geez, I recognise that song." And it was actually the Chieftains yes. playing Galician yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, you know? it was. And I, and I felt really sad because Paddy Maloney died a couple of days later, and mm. I was saying, "There we were, uh, you know, in another land, in another country, listening to Paddy Maloney," and uh, and he was gone. And I I, I remember I. I was in Los Angeles a few years ago and the Chieftains were playing and I was going to get tickets to go and I, I didn't. And uh, I, I, when he died, I said to myself, maybe it's the spirit of the Camino too. I said, uh, you know what, the next time I have an opportunity to do one of these things, I'm just going to do it. So that was my uh, little affirmation that I, I learned on the Camino. My next guest, the writer and actor Marco Hallern, has been on the podcast in season one. Mark did the Camino in 2007 and it left a lasting impression on him and he shares now his experiences from that trip. Yeah, so I did the Camino in like 2007 um, and it was, a, it was a sort of a rush job with me. I um, Tom Murphy was sick at the time and I used to be annoying him in the hospital uh, hanging around. So he said, and I'd always talked about the Camino um, because I'd read various books about it, um, including the Shirley MacLaine one, which is absolutely hilariously mad. And she was having spiritual, she was meeting ghosts and everything along the way. But uh, he said, look, why don't you do the Camino? And when, when, when you're back, I'll be feeling a little bit better and I'll be more uh, things. So I said, yeah, sure. So that was kind of why I went. And within two weeks I was, I was in, um, uh, San Jean de Pied de Port, uh, um, waiting to go up the Pyrenees, and I was actually quite nervous because you know it is quite an undertaking in lots of ways. Um, I mean, I think that each and every day is doable, but it's the it's the continual going that that can wear you down your joints and your knees and your ankles. And I had a pair of boots that were very cruel to my toes in the first few days. I lost my two big toenails. Um, um, I was blistered. I just tend to get blisters a lot. Um, so getting my feet into boots every morning was absolutely and utterly, it was just agony. But you kept going and you kept doing it and uh, it became part of it. People would stop and tell you how to strap your feet properly, how to how to put plaster on them properly so they don't get, the people kind of looked out for you in that way. And it became a kind of a great kind of journey into a sort of a sort of a disappearing act in lots of ways. You kind of, you know, you can, you can stay and talk to people if you want, or you can go on your own and you can just take in the countryside. And I found it rejuvenative, as they'd say. Yeah. You, you described that perfectly. You're right. It's, you can, some days you'll talk to people or some days you just want silence. And yeah. <laughs> I went in September as well, which kind of helped because uh, people are going back to school. And so, you know, a lot of people don't have this freedom to do it. So it's less busy. So I was never in the kind of racing to try and get to the the hostels in the evening that happens at the height of the season, I believe. And people are left without beds and all sorts of things. And I did it in an easy way. There were some days... My very first day, actually, I was on my way. I, I arrived in Biarritz and I was going to stay in Biarritz that night and then get a train to San Jean de Biet to port the next day. But the, it was, you know, it was, the, I don't know, I hadn't even planned ahead. When I got to Biarritz, there wasn't a hotel room to be had. And I had to sleep out on the street that night, <laughs> Yeah, which was really weird. I had my, my, my sleeping bag with me. I slept in the portico of the theatre and I was like, at last, theatres have a reason. <laughs> uh, uh, young fellas threw coins at me in the, in the night because they thought I was homeless. That was kind of fun. Um, but there were other nights along the Camino that I would leap over a wall and sleep out if, it was, if the weather was really nice. And I, the first week of it was absolutely torrential rain. But, but for a week, then we got this kind of an Indian summer feeling, which was kind of nice. Um, and I liked all that. But I, then once a week, I always treated myself to a hotel. I was like, yeah. yeah. That's the way you to know, do it. I wasn't going monkish. I'd go like, oh, I'm coming into wherever, Leon. I, I think I'll yeah. put myself into a hotel and take a day off the Camino, like do, do two nights in a hotel or whatever. And I thought that was all fine. But I mean, I didn't ever mind 
the 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 hostels uh, the one thing you have to get used to is the cacophony of snoring which is really strange now obviously you or we or persons add to that cacophony uh but we don't get to hear it but like it's quite extraordinary there was a guy i don't know we, it was quite early on it might have even have been in pamplona or somewhere like that and i thought he was trying to in, inhale his duvet like it was kind of like people were waking up in the night and shouting at him and it was really really bizarre so you have to get used to that but i kind of i liked the idea of 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 getting up in the morning really and i used to get up really really early like just as the dawn was happening and knowing you had nothing to do but walk there's something very freeing about that i thought it was very good for a person and of course you were also walking from one beautiful town to the next i mean there were some terrible places that you went through but mostly they were really uh, ancient towns you know you would think of asobrero or rabanal del camino which is really special i found but also burgos the larger town burgos and leon and pamplona and just really beautiful beautiful places and you'd see often you know ruined churches on the way or not ruined churches on the way and and I was really interested in the Spanish attitude to Catholicism because I wasn't doing it as a, as a religious thing. I'm an atheist. Um, but I found that their relationship to, to Catholicism was much earthier than our own Irish one, which is so prudish. Like you'd often see in some of the churches, statues like uh, the Virgin de la Leche, and she's breastfeeding Christ with her breast out like the idea that you would have that in Ireland would have been but it's much more it's it felt to be much more deeply ingrained into society even all of the the kind of little legends within the towns were all to do with Catholicism whereas ours tend to our Catholicism I found is only is only skin deep at times so I thought that was really interesting and uh, a lot of people when they do it, they tend to skip over the meseta, which is in the middle, which is the very, very flat part in the middle. They, the people tell you it's boring and don't do it and take a bus from one side of it to the next. And for me, it was the best part of it. It was very, very quiet. This landscape was very flat, but you met some very lovely towns on the way. And, you know, it was really empty. And I found that to be exactly probably what I was looking for at the time. Yeah. And what I liked in the Mercedes was that you could see the town in the distance. It could be a long, it could be 20 k's away. Times You couldn't see it because yeah. it was in a hollow and you were going like, it's getting dark. Where the fuck is this town that I'm supposed to be staying in tonight? And then suddenly you go into a dip and there was this beautiful little stone town that you that you, you had been told was going to be there. Um, everyone becomes experts at reading maps as well. And, uh, you know, you get lost quite a bit, or I did anyway. But uh, I got these good books by this guy called John Brearley. I think uh, he's quite famous. He makes quite a and, um, a living from, from the Camino and he's written several books. But I thought his books were very good, the guidebooks and the maps that he had and all of that. And when I was finished, I went on as far as Finisterre outside after Santiago, which is a three-day further trek out to the sea, which, you know, I, they say is is uh, part of what was once a pagan route there. And uh, and that was lovely. And when you arrive in Finisterre, you arrive onto the beach and you have to walk around the beach and up into the town. And, and pilgrims are meant to go to the rocks just outside the town and burn some of their clothes and it's as if they, they have become new or throw stuff into the sea or whatever it is. And I thought that was really quite, um, quite beautiful. I love looking at a map sometimes and I go, I walked all the way around across there, which is kind of fun. Did you do it uh, when you're, when you're at those rocks? Did you, did you burn into them? There was a lot of my clothes that wanted burning for sure. If <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't run away on its own. Exactly. Um, that's what yeah. that's what I think actually about that is it's more of a practical thing. You know, ancient pilgrims, their clothes probably they only had one set of clothes, you know. Yeah. As far as goes, did you find it spiritual or or, or I mean I'm wary of those words. You meet an awful lot of wafflers on the way um who would talk to you about ley lines and, and feeling I felt <clears throat> I felt that I had made some sort of peace with myself in lots of ways at the time. I'd been going through a pretty stressful time and uh, and I was, 
maybe not coping is is too large of a thing to put on it but I wasn't in a happy place and I felt I'd you know and also I was about to go into the loss of Tom who was a very important person in my life he was about he died five days after I got home actually and his last text to me was the day before I arrived in in Santiago de Compostela, I sent him a, te- a text saying, tomorrow I walk into the city. And he was his text back to me was, keep going, brave pilgrim. You know, it was a little joke that we had. Uh, I think I was joking to him that I was this pilgrim dressed in, in sackcloth and all of that. And that was the last text I got from him. When I got home, he was in a coma. And then afterwards, he was dead. But I, I think I was able to deal with it a little bit better because I was in a stable place when I came back from from there it is rejuvenative it it allows you to step out of life for a while and i think that that's very healthy regardless and did you miss it when you came home then your search i went into a very different thing you know i went into a very crazy period because of Mm. the loss of time and all of that i did you know you do i came home and i was quite emotional uh not this was before tom passed uh, you do step back into life and go, okay, is this it again? Is this what we're going back into? But I think that that's all part of it. And I think there's no, there's no harm. It's like when you come home from a good holiday, I suppose, in, in lots of ways. I mean, I do, I have recommended it very strongly to people. I did the Camino Frances. There are other Caminos that you can do. There's the Northern one, the coastal one, and there's all sorts of Caminos up through Portugal. And there's one that goes from Madrid, I believe, and one from, from the from the southern part of the Pyrenees and there's Caminos that go all the way into into I mean there's one you know you can start your Camino in Dublin and in uh, St. James's they they stamp your pilgrim passport uh, and you can head off from there if you want Um, but yeah I I mean it's something that I would like to do again I, I keep meaning to but it takes up a bit of time and I think it would be interesting maybe 20 years from from when I had first done it to go back and see what it's like then. Exactly. And is there one memory or town that you that stands out when you go back to it? And I liked I liked all of it. There was the, there was memories of uh uh of of me chatting fulsomely to cows in the middle of the Meseta and there wasn't another person around for for miles to come. Uh there was a I did a very long, long, long walk one day that took me into Burgos. And as I was, and it's a very ugly walk. You have to walk through like seven miles of industrial estate before you get into the town. And literally my legs seized up. Like I had done something like 45 miles that day. Like it was too much to do. And it was in the heat and it was just a lot of lactic acid. And I literally seized up outside a hotel. I couldn't go any farther. And I wobbled in and the guy at the desk just went, oh. and he was like, oh, I did the Camino last year. I know what you're suffering from. And I said, just give me a room with a bath. And I had to get into a bath and massage my legs uh, to get the lactic acid moving so I, could, so I could walk again, which is kind of mad. I also remember Rabinal del Camino, which is a very quiet, tiny little town. And it had this very medieval little, little church. And the monks did sort of vespers. They were German monks, actually. And they did vespers that night. And I thought, is it vespers? I don't know what that's the name of it. But they sang, should I say. Uh, and it was really, really beautiful. Um, so that was a, a highlight for me. My last guest today is the American lecturer, writer and guide Curtis Williams, whom I met on the Camino. Curtis tells us about his first Camino way back in the 90s and then the historical and cultural significance of the Camino. Like, Why do you go for you? You go for your walks in the Camino. Why, why do you do that? Well, for me, it's always been a retreat. Instead of going away for a week, um, you know, two weeks, a month to a monastery, I prefer to walk to Santiago and uh, I spend a lot of time in prayer while I'm walking you know and is it the silence the contemplation it's all of those things there's silence sometimes you have to look for it especially in certain times of years because now the Camino as you can hear in the background <laughs> is very busy yeah. and um, but yeah and especially now you know the very first time I was very tied to the itinerary because I only had so many days free from teaching, and so very tied to the itinerary, do it in 30 days, etc., etc. But now, if I'm going to walk from, say, Pamplona, or if I go up to the monastery at Rontes Valles and I'm going to walk from there, I take my time. 
and I stay, I stop where I want to stop. You know, I, there's certain places now that I look for when I make my pilgrimage. Certain churches, certain, you know, um, yeah, certain churches and convents and also also albergues and people that I've known for 20 years who who are volunteers on the Camino. It's It's like family reunion time. How many times time. have you done it? I think I have I, you know I, I haven't counted I, I'm sure I don't even ask for the Compostela anymore because I've got a drawer full of them I mean there's no point uh, <laughs> first like five or six times that I did it I got a Compostela and then I thought what are you doing you know you only need to put one on your wall you know so um, but I think I've probably done it about 15 times not complete not the entire north of Spain 15 times that I think I've done about nine or ten times and you know, so the first time you did it it was a pilgrimage and then after that was it the history that you started to see that, you know, cause it, was well, it, was all, it was all that even in the beginning it was, was a pilgrimage it? but I mean um, I came across a book um, I was saying earlier by a woman named Laurie Dennett um, I think her father was some famous broadcaster in Canada Jack Dennett or something but anyway I just this book turned up I used to belong to a book club, and I got it by accident when I was at university. And it was about her walk from Chartres, near near Paris, to Santiago de Compostela, in the 80s. And there was none of this. There was no organization. There were no albergues. There was no yellow arrows yet. Nothing. And she she was a historian, and she did from Chartres to Santiago, and she wrote a book about it. And there were no books at that time about it. I'd never heard of it. And because I forgot to send the little card saying, don't send me the monthly selection, that book landed on my desk when I was a student. And I read it and I went, well, this is brilliant. This is, I want to do this. It took me some time. It took me into the night. I had to finish university and get a, get a real job and start earning money. But, but I finally, I did it. And so I did start from Chart. Um, I did actually begin because that was the only reference I had was her book so I said alright I'm going to go to Chartres and I'm going to start and I'm going to walk south through France and across the north of Spain and that's what I set out to do and even then in the early 90s it was probably very different than now I was com it was completely different you would say to people what you're doing and they would go what? <laughs> yeah. you know I mean the people in France and certainly along the route in Spain they sort of they have you know, there's historical memory and people in the villages, people, you know, pilgrims used to come through here on the way to Santiago. You know, they, pres they preserved the memory of it, but nobody was really doing it. You had a few historians, a few teachers, a few people for religious devotion. But I mean, the, the, the real boom came with the Holy Year in 1993. Um, that was the first time, for example, that the regional government of Galicia said, hey, there's potential here um, to draw tourists to and so they created a system of free albergues that were sponsored by the regional government in Galicia. And they, they made, you know, those stone markers every 500 meters. Most of them are falling apart or gone now. And I don't think they replaced them anymore, but you still see them. Those were all put in for the 1993 Holy Year. And you had the parish priest in Othabredo at the, the mountain pass where you enter Galicia. Um, he was really responsive. He, he came up with the idea for the yellow arrow, and uh, him and the the fellow from uh, a fellow from Pamplona. I mean, they literally walked the Camino with buckets of yellow paint, painting on trees and stones and farmhouses, painting the yellow arrow, and, and you indicating see them everywhere the way. Now, even I'm looking at the road, even on the road there. Yeah, it's become the symbol, one of the symbols of the Camino, right along with the scallop shell, which is more traditional and medieval. Mm -hmm. But he just had this idea, you know, he, he researched and studied the route and he made sure that he knew and he went marking with the yellow arrows, boom, 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 all along the way. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's the, he's the priest that when you go to Othabedeta, there's a bust outside the church, you know, of him because he, he's really responsible for the modern revival of interest in the Camino de Santiago and one question I was wondering just say on the whole route if there was one little village or town that you say you have to go just one oh, what would that be that's, that's really hard I know um, well Othabredo is magical for me it's it's fantastic because it's it's Celtic that? well it's, it's it's the pass where you go into the Celtic region of Spain oh, so when okay. you leave 
you know, that's in the Bierzo region, west of León and west of Ponferrada. When you go up and you go into Galicia, it's just a hamlet sitting atop the mountain. But it was the site of it was the site in of a, a 14th century Eucharistic miracle. Okay, there's a there's a miracle associated with that, and I can send you information about. Actually, wrote an article about that for the Catholic Herald. <laughs> and then there, yeah, but it's like at nighttime. You know, you've got these stone houses with the thatched roofs, very Celtic looking, very because that's the Celtic region of Spain. And at night, it just gets shrouded in fog most most of the time, and it just is mystical looking in the streets. So, sounds magical. Yeah. Why is the Camino so special? I think in terms of the, I think in terms of the rebirth of the Camino, you just had a convergence of things. For those of us, you know, who who are believers, for example, for me, you know, as a as a believer, there's no coincidences. There's no there's no luck. There's there's providence. I, I get that not everybody shares that point of view, but it's a, an extraordinary set of circumstances that converged in the late 20th century that led to the rebirth of the Camino. You know, you had um, Pope John Paul II going there as a pilgrim himself, you know, visiting Santiago de Compostela, really as that first pope who traveled around a lot, the first modern pope who's, you know, got outside the Vatican and did, did all of those journeys that he did. But you also, you also had um, the Spanish government and sort of the regional governments too. With the, uh, Spain, Spain has always sort of been aware of the, of the culture and the heritage that it has, but it's mostly been focused on the sort of stereotypical stuff from the South. And then you also had, but I think the most important thing for me, it just seems like there's just this big spiritual vacuum in the West. I mean, the biggest thing, all these little bits and pieces, the UNESCO World Heritage Declaration, the journeys of Pope John Paul II, the desires of these more rural areas in Spain to promote what they had in order to draw, you know, um, tourism and money in uh, for their own economy. But you also have you also have this tremendous spiritual vacuum in the West, and you have and you have had for most of the latter half of the 20th century, and now going into the 21st century. Just this sort of um, feeling of, on the one hand, I guess, restlessness or feeling unrooted from the past, you know. And then on the other hand, you've got um, you've got lo- loads of people that are just searching for something, searching for some meaning beyond the materialistic lifestyle that um, that we all live in the West, and that means, and, and that, that cuts across religious and philosophical. Um, lines, you know, you've got people who are who are religious believers and people who are who are agnostics and atheists, and you've got people from different religious traditions: Protestants, Catholics, Buddhists, you know, uh, Jews, um, you know, Hindus, etc. But you know, the thing that we've got in common is that we're all living in a very materialistic, self-centered society, and we've sort of lost any kind of sense of transcendence, you know, transcendent meaning to life. And so I think the Camino, you know, um, I think the Camino fit, stepped right into that gap, so to speak. That's um, why a lot of people have taken to it. And that's why you find such a diverse group of people on the Camino, you know, um, people of all, all, all creeds and none. Um, but everybody's looking for some, for some kind of transcendent meaning. You know, you, you like in the 60s and the 70s, you heard about people, you know, like the Beatles going off to Rishikesh with the Maharishi and people would go and, and they would do, they would go to the Himalayas and they'd go up to Buddhist monasteries in Tibet and things like that. Um, and really in, in the sort of post-Protestant Reformation, post-Enlightenment, Industrial Revolution, really for the past 500 years, um, all of the sort of traditional spiritual and religious uh, centers and and activities in Europe had had pretty much just been they'd just been washed away. Um, it's really interesting how the Camino has led to a revival of other walking pilgrimages, um, like the Via Francia Jena to Rome, and people in in the UK and in in Ireland the things the different the different walking pilgrimages that have, have researched, like the Canterbury one and that sort of thing. 
the St. Declan's Way just opened up recently in Ireland, near where I live. Yeah, and I'm very interested in going and doing that because I've been reading about that. I'm very interested in going up and doing that as well. I hope you enjoyed those three interviews today. I met and interviewed many great guides and pilgrims when I was on the Camino. There is an openness and camaraderie with fellow walkers who are willing to share a Bon Camino greeting with you as they pass and they're often willing to chat and exchange stories. I'm going to share some of those fascinating interviews with you next Tuesday when we go a little deeper into the history and mystique of the Camino, including my guide in Navarra, who is a Camino legend called Frank Contreras. And here he sums up the magic of walking in the Camino when he says, the only thing you hear in the Camino is your heart beating and the crunch of your shoes in the ground below you. information on the Camino go to the website www.spain.info and see you next Tuesday where we talk more about the Camino. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Virgo.